0: back to She Can Talk, the podcast. I am your host, Colleen, a.k.a. Gongly MC on Instagram, if you want to know what we're doing with that music, or Colleen Eat Wings on Instagram, if you want to see what we saw sending Tawson, or you can simply go over to the website, doerecords.com, that's www.doerecords.com for everything else. Anyway, guys, how are you doing? How are we feeling? It is November, O-M-G. Yo, it's eleven eleven twenty two to be exact today, so happy Veterans Day, but the numbers are very powerful today. So I said, you know what, I'm going to deliver you guys an episode early, put it out there for you guys early. It's going to be a, just a little bit of touch and base, seeing how you're all doing, but I did want to talk to you about the season finale, well, series finale of Atlanta on FX. This show was... One of my favorite shows for the past four years, five years. I don't even know how long it was on, but this is one of my favorite shows. However, it has come to an end and I'm not really trying to do like spoiler alerts and like say, hey guys, you know, this is what happened, blah blah blah. So that's why I haven't really get, you know giving you blow by blow every episode. Plus, you can go on YouTube and you'll see like a lot of other bloggers and YouTubers that are like give you the episode ending explained, every review, how they feel, their emotional commitment to it. And I watch it, so I'm not even you know, I'm not hating on it at all because I love the content. And sometimes I look at the some of the my you know reviews that I follow first before I watch the episode just to kind of get an idea of like where they're going with this episode because you know afro surrealism is definitely at the forefront of atlanta something i love loved about the show so um let's get into it so i mean if you don't know because i do know i have a wide listening audience out here so, if you don't know, there is a show on FX called Atlanta. It is written and directed by Donald Glover, executive producer, along with, um, Hiro um, his brother, Stefan or Stephen Glover is a few of them writers on the show, but you know, Donald Glover is childish Gambino, you know, you know, stay woke, you know, um, Donald Glover, you know, he was on, I think it was Parks and Recreations or the community. I think it was a community on NBC, great actor, great rapper, great musician, great singer, just overall, you know, dope talent, right? Very eccentric. And I think that's one of the other things I like about him because I can totally relate to that. Um, So he put the show out and I think apparently him and his brother are from Atlanta, born and raised. So that, you know, he kind of made a show centered around where he was from. Atlanta but the show you so you would think initially and that's what made me watch the show you would think initially it's going to be like a um biopic of sorts like okay he's talking about himself or giving you some insight into him as a child type of thing but then you kind of quickly realize that it's kind of a little bit of everything touches on everything that's happening you know not only in Atlanta but um in the world But then also in the black community, like I like the way he weaved or wove that into everything. Um, Certainly a lot of standout episodes. It kind of gave me almost like um, like to me, I feel like Atlanta picked up where the boondocks left off. Right. So if you remember the boondocks, which was a show, Aaron Magruder, um, I want to say Comedy Central back in the days. But that show was amazing. You know about the two brothers, um, moved to the suburbs with their grandfather, and it showed you a lot of Afro surrealism, but it also showed you a lot of realism, you know, within it as well. So, but it was a it was a cartoon, and I think that's what made it easier to give the narrative or to deliver the message. That's the word I'm looking for. So, I think that maybe the Boondocks was easier, especially at the time that it was out, for the message to be delivered through cartoon versus you know, like actors and actresses, like really playing out the roles. But I feel like Atlanta did a great job picking up where like the boondocks left off trying to give those, you know, ha- trying to have those tough conversations and make everyone think not just, you know, a certain community of like color, like not just black people, not just white people, but everyone, like everyone who's involved in America, everyone who lives here to start thinking, you know, like, hmm, are we like this? Do we contribute to this? That type of stuff, right? Right yeah it's funny yeah a lot of laughs just like the boondocks but you still walk away with the like oh man especially after you're done laughing you walk away like oh man are we like that (laughs) are we really like this you know and not just black people so yeah why if you watch it you'll see what I mean but um this last episode was the series finale and to me I feel like this show was so good that for me it's not ever going to end. Like, I'm going to watch it again. It'd probably be like Saturday afternoons or, you know, weekends where, you know, whatever, I'm just going to binge. And I probably would binge Atlanta because it's definitely my staple of favorites. You know, just like the messages that were in the show are timeless. You know, Um, he touched on things that ironically, if other people were to say it directly or to touch on it, I don't even know how it would be received. And then at the same time, it could be one of the reasons why I feel like maybe Atlanta is tucked away. I feel like it's like a niche of you kind of got to know about it to know about it, to watch it. And even if you're like, you know, because I've, I've even spoken with people that are, you know, black. that like, I don't like that show. That show is whack. I don't like it. and just won't even give it a try. So I can't even say, that, oh, it's only for black people. Like black people understand. No, it's really not. Because a lot of people that I connect with on the show are not black, so there you go, but at the same time, a lot of people that I do connect with on the show is also black, because we can relate to different aspects of it, so you gotta watch it to see it, but this final episode touched on probably everyone, if not my, you know, I can't speak for everyone, so I'm gonna speak for myself, probably my favorite character on the show, at at different points of time, at different seasons, each character become my favorite character, but at I can say consistently throughout all of it, his attitude, his demeanor was so calm, so collected, right? That um, I think Darius, who's played by Lakeith Stanfield, who played in so many other stuff that I just love him. He's a great actor. But Darius is the character that Lakeith Stanfield played on the show for all, all four seasons. And I think he pretty much grew to become one of my favorite characters because, He just always had a like cool, calm, collected, zen-like demeanor to him at all times. That was kind of pretty dope. And especially if, you know, you're a person like myself who is on the opposite end of that scale, who really is not, well, was not, you know, as I strive to be more zen-like, you know, you kind of admire that, like, wow, nothing bothers this dude. I really wish I could, you know, adapt those skills. So he grew to be one of my favorite characters as a result of his just like nonchalant attitude, his nonchalant demeanour about life, like everything. Like in the first season he seemed more um gangsterish, like, you know, because Paperboy, which is, you know, the rapper. So all the characters we all know, Michael Tyree, he plays Paperboy, um, which is um Earn, which is Childish Gambino, their cousins. Paperboy's a rapper, and you know, he, and but he's in the first seasons. He was really more so, more drug dealer, like you know, drug dealer trying to be rapper, right? So, and what I do like about the show kind of gave you progress, but it didn't really. You know, that's one thing, I don't know, depending on how you're looking at it, but that's one thing it didn't really highlight was him being a musician, but it highlighted, like, the culture and the lifestyle of being a musician. So I guess it was beautiful to kind of give you that feeling of, behind the scenes like you, you would show Paperboy in the studio it would show Earn trying to like will and deal the the deals and you know negotiate the shows and you know the deals for Paperboy because he was the manager then you would see like Lakeith or um Darius be his friend that's like you know the you know how like every rapper kind of has a friend like the neighborhood homeboy that grew up with them or their brother whoever that grew up with them and they take them with them on the road and they kind of like enjoy the fruits of their labor for you know basically for free because they don't rap they're not really doing nothing they're just kind of there with them so that's Darius Darius is that friend that um kind of reaps a lot of the benefits of his best friend Paperboy, and at the same time he's able to Live a Zen life. Like whatever he wants, he gets it. He says that the universe shall provide. And it really does for him. He actually kind of helped me with that a little bit. Like, yo, just don't even worry about it. Just calm down. The universe shall provide. And it's true. It happens every time. So this final episode, they dedicated all, you know, the series finale, which is very interesting. To me, I feel like I hope they're psyching us out and they're going to give us a bonus episode or maybe a weird Atlanta movie to sum it all up. That would be pretty dope. But then, you know, that's always fan talk. You know, we get a hype. We get so thrown in. I remember I was so into Game of Thrones and that ended just blew my mind. Like what? And so I don't even think I honestly could get into House of Dragons or whatever it's called, House of the Dragon, whatever it's called, because of that. Like Game of Thrones just blew my mind with the ending. So I can't even get into this other stuff. But anyway, that's a whole other sidebar. But back to Atlanta, you know, it kind of threw me that the last episode that kind of sums up the whole show, the series finale two parts one side of me can say yeah it blows me like how did it end it like this but then the other side of me is like you know if we're thinking on that higher plane on that celestial plane it makes complete sense why they would end the episode the way they did so I have a couple of things to throw out there you know I'm gonna kind of do some spoiler alerts for this one which is like why I said I did not want to do a blow by blow week by week episode for um all three seasons or excuse me all four seasons because the show was so good I did do a couple of episodes on here and she can talk about episodes that stuck out to me so I'm not gonna lie I have talked about some episodes before like I believe I may have said something about Trinity to the bone a couple of them before but um this one here is about Darius it's the series finale the show ending and um I liked it so I wanted to get into it so here we go all right, so I apologize in advance because spoiler alerts begin now. And honestly, it's a few days, you know, women, it's the next day, but, you know, whatever. You could pause it right here, watch the show, and then unpause it, and you could tell me what I if I am correcting my observations of the show, you know, or what do you say? Or do you agree or do you disagree? So here we go. So the show's about Darius. It starts with them. It looks like it may be um either... Earn's house or Paperboy's house. Um, might even be Darius' house at this point because he's chilling, relaxing on the sofa, watching Judge Judy, while Earn is in the background, kind of like relaxing on a stool at the bar or the counter in the kitchen with um, Paperboy and Paperboy is there you know, kind of talking to him. You don't really hear what they're saying. It's a really nice soul song playing about standing up for yourself, about um, coming together, uniting as people. I'm like, I actually want to find that song because it's, it gave you such an old school vibe. Like maybe it's an old school 70s song, but then you know how it is nowadays. New artists could come out and really give you that soulful old school vibe. So I don't know if it's a new artist. So um, the song is really not familiar to me. If any of you out there know the song, please let me know. But I'm currently looking that up soon too. Actually, I might have to um, look that song up and have that play for the end of this show because it was a really good, powerful song for the end of this show here and she could talk. So I'm going to have to pause and research and then put it up here. So I'll be back on that. I'll circle back on that. So anyway, um, he got the headphones on, Darius. He's in the living room. He's listening to the song. Then um, Earn kind of waves at him and like kind of gets his attention and say, hey, take the headphones off. He takes the headphones off and he's like, hey, are you coming with us? You ready to go? And he was like, oh, where are you going? He was like, oh, you know, we got to go to um eat the sushi thing or whatever. And he was like, oh, actually, I got a couple of errands to run, but I will catch up with you guys there. You know, I'll, I'll catch up with you, you know, afterwards. And he said, well, don't eat a lot because Van wants to make sure you have an appetite. She'll be very upset if you eat and ruin your appetite. And he was like, don't worry about it. I'll be good. You know I like to eat. So. And I'm going to stop saying Paperboy. It's Alfred. So Alfred and Ern are cousins, but his rap name is Paperboy. That's why I keep on saying Paperboy. And then Vanessa is Ern's baby mother, right? So she's Van. They call her Van for short. So Van's going to be upset that, you know, if Darius ruins his appetite before their lunch date. So Van. So Darius which basically this episode's kind of as you kind of watch it you kind of learn and kind of you know understand that this is Darius's episode. We got a season finale on episode on season 3 on Vanessa. Then we got of course Paperboy a lot of episodes where you kind of go into Alfred and his background as well as Earn cuz those to me are the two main characters, the two cousins. And then we have the two supporting characters which is Darius and Vanessa. On each side of them, so you know. So anyway, long story short, this episode, Vanessa's like, "Come, we're having lunch," and Darius is like, "I have a date. I have a couple of errands to run in a date, and then I meet you there." And so he was like, "Um, a, a depth sesh," and they was like, "What is that? Like a session with a deputy?" And it was like, "What is it? Like Johnny Depp movies? Like what is that?" And he was like, "No, it's a depth sesh. It's like sensory deprivation session where you kind of like floating in water." and you're like dreaming, and it's like, I don't know if you are under some type of hypnosis, or under some type of chemically induced drug, but basically it allows you to kind of elevate to a next level, and like all your sensories are stimulated in this tank, so, um, and that's basically something that I went and researched, and so i am just give you the paraphrase from my research, and, and if you watch the episode, you kind of get the idea of like, okay, so I get what, you know, Colleen is saying now, but, um, So he's excited about his sesh, his depth sesh, which is a sensory deprivation session. So um, he's on his, but before he goes there, he stops at the pharmacy. So this makes you feel like, okay, this is probably the drugs he's picking up for his session, right? Because it makes you feel like it's gonna be something chemically induced. And if you watched all four seasons, which I encourage anyone who has never watched this show, this is the perfect time. The show has ended. It's only four seasons. Each episode is like 30 minutes, maybe 35 minutes max. So this is a good binge and lots of laughs, a lot of emotional roller coasters too, but it will make you think. And it also, you know, taps into your higher level of intelligence, which is what I like as well. So anyway, um, But like I was going to say, I kind of got off track there. But if you're familiar with the show overall, you know that Darius takes every drug known to man or at least once has tried every drug known to man and doesn't seem to be phased by any of them, right? So when you see this happening, like, okay, so he's about to go on like a super trip. He went to the pharmacy and got some drugs for his session because he's like, could you please hurry up because I have a floating session. You know, so it kind of further makes you feel like this is for his session, right, so, um, cameos, because, you know, you know, the last two seasons have been really full of cameos, and I think that's so dope, actually, no, all four seasons have been really full of cameos, and I just love the show for that, because you're like, oh, wow, who is that, oh, wow, oh, my god, they're in the show, you know, and it just kind of, and then, you know, adds more creativity and artistry to it, I should say, so, cameo, one of my favorites from A Different World, Cree Summer, she's playing a mother waiting for some medication for her child in the waiting area of the pharmacy. So she says, excuse me, you know, I just wanted to say, so she says to Darius, I heard you mention a floating session. Are you talking about a sensory deprivation session? How does she pick that up? Right? So I'm like, okay, Afro surrealism, here it starts. And he was like, yeah, you know, so they start having a nice conversation back and forth. And then she said, um, she had to stop doing it recently because she couldn't tell where her visions were and, you know, like where they were real or where they fake, or like if, if it was really happening or what was or not. So she said because she couldn't decipher from that, she had to slow down from the sessions. And he was like, oh, I, I figured out a way to do it. I figured out a way to um, kind of like ground myself when I feel like, hey, I'm going too far into, you know, my visions while in the session. And she was like, share, like, how did, you know, what did you come up with? And he basically, and I'm just paraphrasing. This is not all for verbatim, but, um, he was like, that he sees a thick judge Judy. And she was like, what? Was like, yeah, because you know, 9, 10, the TV's always on. I'm always watching TV and judge Judy's always on. But if it's a thick judge Judy, then I know that I'm in the tank and I need to calm down and come back and get grounded. If it's, um, a regular Judge Judy, then I know that I'm not into and this is real life, and she was like, a thick, like, what, fat ass, big titty, like, yes, the whole night, whatever you feel, a thick Judge Judy, and so she was like, okay, and then she was, so, you know, he was like, are you getting anxiety medicine, and she was like, no, i have taken everything known to man, you know what I'm saying? And, right, I have did floating sessions, but actually I'm just getting medicine for my kid who's sick. And so she was like, okay. So to me, and I'm going to break down the symbolisms of stuff. So I feel like because he, this whole session or this whole episode was about um, Darius, I want to break down the things that I interpreted from it. And you can tell me what you think. I encourage you to watch the episode or just watch the whole show because it's artistry at its finest. Artistry, comedy. And just like a nice like show, like I can't really explain, a, a original show at its finest. So anyway, um, yeah. So I feel like Cree Summer in the Pharmacy represented some type of mothering, nurturing nature that he misses. I'm gonna lean towards his mother, you know, like a parental, well, maternal type of um aura, but um. Because he said, you know, are you getting anxiety medicine? And maybe he or, you know, suffer with anxiety because she said, I'm getting medicine for my kid. And she was like, oh, no, I've been on everything. Boom, boom, boom. Just I'm getting some medicine because my kid has an infection. And so he was like, oh, okay. So because she was there for something, not for herself, even though she's taking every drug known to man, she was not there for something for herself. She was there for something for her kid. It just kind of lended me to feeling like that was like a mother for him. You've seen it in a couple of episodes back, two episodes actually, where you've seen um Alfred, A.K.A. Paperboy, have like an analogy. Uh, uh, I'm having a tongue twister there, an analogy or a metaphor in relation to his mother. So one episode, you he was sleeping, dreaming, and his he heard his mother cleaning up the house. Like I didn't raise you to have a dirty house like that. And he got up, and he had like a weird trippy day that day his mother clearly was giving you the significance of she passed on but um was still there with him then it was another episode when he was you know in season three when he's in Amsterdam I think it was and um he starts to trip he had with Darius he takes some special drugs he starts to trip and the girl he meets you know ends up you know having his mother's name and you know talking to him like his mother would But she was younger than him. She was like a young, hip girl that was kind of like in with like the in crowd. So it was almost like, you know, that kind of lent to the um, feeling for me of like the mother knows best. You know, they always say mother knows best. So kind of lent to that feeling for me, that episode with with um, Alfred, a.k.a. Paperboy. Right. So I know that they have like a lot of and even with Ern, he had two episodes which was around his mother. You know, so if we're giving Darius one short episode because he is a sub or a supporting actor or supporting cast member, I should say, um, I think they put it all into one. So I think the first person they started with was his mother. Well, no, I'm going to go back. I think the first people they started with was his friends. So I think his life starts and ends with his friends. Those are, those are important people to him but then you see him going through a journey he said hey I, I gotta you know leave you guys up for a minute because i you know my life starts and ends with you I, my you know daily life routines is around your, you guys so i'm gonna take a minute and i'm gonna run some errands And i think the errands that he was running were all happening while he was in the tank so hear me out now the first one he went to the um to, you know to the pharmacy he met crease summer from a different world, Freddie from different world, you know, she's into like, you know, ayahuasca, very like spiritually, like, you know, the type of character that Darius played, she's that type of person in real life, you know, so that was kind of cool that they had her there, and then at the while she was like, hey, you know, be careful with the visions, because after a while I couldn't tell what was real from what was fake type of thing, so I think that was like a maternal message to him, like, hey, be careful, you know, this stuff can kind of get tricky and dangerous, so he's, oh, no, I'm fine, he got his you know, prescription from the pharmacist, and then he left, from there he went, um, oh, he's walking now, like, he's walking to his session, and then as he's walking to his session, he meets this girl, well, not meets a girl, but this girl pulls upon him, gives me the vibe, like, her whole, everything, from the sunglasses she put on, to the outfit she wore, to her hairstyle, even the car she drove, even, like, what she was doing in her car it just gave me like late 90s early 2000 vibes like she's driving around with a water bottle full of vodka she's like smoking a blunt driving around in the car like stuff that you know you would probably do in your 20s and not your 30s or your 40s or you know beyond but in your 20s maybe your late teens you know late teens like 18 19 20s 25 years you know, if you're still doing it at 25, I think you need, you need to chill the hell out. But you know those early weird years, you know, and you're like, oh my god, I got a car, I got a job, I got to do whatever I want. Yeah. So she gave me that vibe, and she was like, I haven't seen you since, um, and I'm drawing a blank. I think she said, um. It's the station or something. But a place I guess I used to hang out with back in the day, right? And she's like, Come on, now, you know how we used to do. Like, I haven't seen you since back then. Like, why you ain't called me or whatever, whatever. And he's like, oh, I did call you for the lockdown party, but you know, you didn't answer. And she was like, Oh, you know, I changed my number. Boom, boom, boom. So anyway, um as they're talking, you could see that she's still the same and Darius has changed. And I started lending to the vibe to me. The vibe was giving me that they were maybe a couple at one point, a very toxic couple at one point. And you can see since then, Darius has explored, traveled the world, you know, tried different drugs, spiritually connected on higher levels to himself. And he's not that person that she knows anymore, right? So he's like, you know, I'm going to just walk, you know, to my session. She was like, no, get in the car. I'm taking you because we need to catch up. And you can see just the interaction that he's having with this girl, like he's still semi under her spell and you can see this might've been his first love. So that's what I'm saying. I think it went from, he left his friends, you know, he went to the pharmacy, the first vibe, the first person he encountered at the pharmacy was the woman who kind of went through the same type of drugs and stuff like him she gave me a maternal instinct type of feel. Then you see this girl, London, that's the girl's name that was in the car. She gives you like that late nineties, early 2000s wild, you know, in your twenties vibe, you know, and that's what she gave me. Like, you know, I I had a couple of friends like that. You get into the car, you're like, Oh my God, girl, what are you doing? What you got? No, chill. Like I don't do that. Not in the car, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But they, they don't care. And for some reason they would get away with it at all times. So, I understand that vibe you could tell like this might have been like his first love so I get that that girl might have been his first love I'm not going to go into all of you know the antics that I'm not going to go blow by blow and screen by screen and tell you everything that happened but just trust me it gave me a, a toxic vibe like that was a toxic relationship that he probably thought was love but in the end he realized it wasn't it was selfish It was selfish and toxic on both ends. So, um, yeah, so he got out that situation and he was like, okay, well, whatever. And, you know, Darius is not new to having weird days at all, peculiar days. We can go back to the Teddy Perkins episode in, um, season two. We can go back to, um, in the beginning of this season, season four, the episode where he's just trying to return like a air fryer or something in the middle of a riot in the middle of the black lives matter riots or whatever, so he's always having weird, awkward moments, Darius. So you can't really, with Darius, you can't really determine if this is real or fake, you know? So he's just watching this happen. So now he gets, you know, what happens? He gets out of that situation now. And then he finally, you know, back to walking, which he was origi- originally doing, That he gets to this apartment. When he gets to the apartment, a guy opens the door, you know, and he's like, hey, I got your medicine. So it gives me the vibe like this is his brother, right? So it went from the mother to his first love to his brother. So the brother's like, "Hey man, what you doing over here?" And he was like, "Um, you know, I I got the you know I got you something." And he's like, "Oh man, you know they deliver my medicine. Like you don't have to come here for it." And he was like, "Hey, you know, it's no problem. You know I'm here." He's like, "Is it okay if I hug you?" He's like, "Yeah, you can hug me. What are you talking about?" And so they hugged each other and everything. And then um. You know, like, he, his brother offers him some, f- some food to eat, some jollof rice, and, you know, that kind of lends back to making me feel like furthers his brother because he mentioned that he was African. He mentioned he had a brother. He mentioned he came over from Nigeria, and a lot of people are like, you're Nigerian? We would never even know because he's so non-cultured, you know, for, like, a um Nigerian. He's more like an Atlanta guy, like, born and raised, so you wouldn't think that he comes from Nigerian parents, you know? So it's not until the guy who he comes to visit says, oh, I got some jollof rice. And that makes me further say, okay, this must be his brother. Then he says, who made the jollof rice? And he said, come on now, who you think made the jollof rice? My roommate. And that lets me feel like, okay, that might be his brother for real, because it seems like they both were non-raised in the culture. Like they was more exposed to the Atlanta culture versus the, um, traditional nigerian culture that they were born into so that's the vibe i got from that part of it so i don't know if both of his parents was nigerian or how that worked but um that lent to that part for me to make me further feel like this character that he meant to meet that that he picked the prescription up for was his brother because he said mr easy maybe they both have the same last name because that's his brother so the brother's like all right i'm gonna go in the kitchen and fix you some rice so he disappears into this kitchen and you see the, you see him standing there looking at a picture of him and his brother. And then as you see the shadow in the kitchen, it look, looks like, you know, he's in front of the stove, um, preparing the rice. Then he just disappears, lending to the fact of like, maybe this is a figment of his imagination and maybe his brother is dead. Cause he said, I miss you. You know, he's looking at the picture, but his brother's in the kitchen, right? And he's like, I miss you. And he's like, hi, you know, how's mom? No answer. And dad, no answer. Then he sees a thick, you know, a thick Judge Judy on the TV. And you're like, oh, okay. Boom, he's in a tank. So this is the first time he kind of wakes up from it. So it makes you feel like everything leading up until this point may have been the tank. And maybe now he's, you know, out the tank or whatever. But um, it is one scene. So right after this scene, he was like, to me, kind of felt like a little trippy. So he gets out the tank and he goes into the tea room and everyone kept on saying like, the tea in the tea, you're going to have tea in the tea room. Go relax in the tea room. I bring you tea to the tea room. Like Everything was like tea in the tea room. So it was almost making me feel like, something about the tea. Right. And you know, like, that's a big thing. Like all of, um, YouTube is split into two, the tea party, the Manosphere, like girl, what's the tea? I'm gonna bring you the tea back in the days used to be the scoop, but now it's the tea, you know? So I think it kind of lent to something around that with the, with the lingo, like the tea is in the tea room. So me now he's, you know, I'm looking at the way it's placed. It's three white women, that went through this sense, you know, this depth sesh as well, I guess. And they're sitting there in their robes, and it says like Visionary Health, so it's like a medical place that they're going to for this therapy. And they're sitting there sipping tea in the tea room. The guy who's like, I guess, the nurse or what have you, or the, um, yeah, I guess the facilitator of whatever sessions is going on. He was preparing the tea for Darius, and he told him to go sit in the tea room. So as he's sitting in there. The women are sitting, you know, against, you know, it's like a waiting area. But when the camera turns to Darius, he's sitting there with a bunch of books, like, you know, strategically, in my opinion, placed right behind him. And it's something like Japanese fear, radical health practices, baby making or making babies and all this stuff. Right. So I felt like the tea was in the tea room. I feel like the T was behind Darius. Now hear me out. If you watch the scene, and I said I'm going to watch it again because I just love this show so much, and I just watched it and like, oh, my God, I think I've, it can't be this easy because normally I have to watch it like two or three times to figure out the hidden, what I feel, maybe the hidden messages or whatever. But this one I was like, this is too easy. So I think it's still some more, so I'm going to watch it again, of course. But um, he was sitting in front of this bookshelf, and you see, you know, baby making, Japanese fear, and then you just think about things that he's been through in the last couple of, you know, seasons, and you're like, oh, okay. So it was like an episode where, um, I don't know, like a radical group of, you know, Europeans felt like he was being racially discriminated against, and they took it upon himself to you know handle the situation for him and um the girl was kind of like Asian or whatever and you know she was like oh I don't date black guys black guys like me a lot or whatever and he was like well could it possibly be because we share a lot in common like you know just because I'm black doesn't mean I don't like anime I don't like this I don't like that and he was giving some of his you know the stuff that he's interested in and she was like Actually, I didn't think about that, you know, like, and then it kind it of just edited on that. But at the end, he was like, by the way, I'm not really interested in you. I was just trying to get the drink behind you. But thank you for thinking I was, you know, whatever. So I said, is that the Japanese fear? Like, maybe he do like Asian girls, but he's scared to holler because of the stereotype and the tropes or whatever, or the stereotypical tropes. I don't know. Then um, another part was you know the baby making it was a book that said baby making right on the next shelf above it or making babies and he said it several times throughout the seeds the whole show the series that he cannot make babies because something happened to him as a child and he was permanently sterilized so he they never expanded on what happened to him to make him sterilized but seeing like the weird three white women in the room you know, laughing hysterically, it it lended the vibe to me of medical, you know, like something medical may have happened to him that caused the sterility, and maybe those are like the you know where they represent either the nurses or the doctors that did the malpractice on him. So that's the vibe I got from that. I could be wrong. Watch it and you tell me what you think. But um, that's the vibe I got from that scene. Like. You know, even though he's trying to connect with himself on a deeper level, he's willing to try anything from drugs to, you know, sensory deprivations, therapy. You know, he still has his his inhibitions and his um reservations about it, right? So um, as we're going through, that's what I got from that scene. So then he's like, okay, this isn't real. So he grabs one of the ladies and like aggressively shakes her. And then gets thrown out of the um, center, like the little medical area, out on his, like, these get thrown out on his ear. So it's like, okay, maybe that was real, and maybe it's just Darius is a trippy dude, and he always is in some weird shit, because how are you the only black man in here with three old white ladies doing sensory deprivation therapy? Like, what is this? You know? And then the way they were laughing hysterically, like, they seem a little crazy, so... You might be a little crazy in there with them type of thing, right? So they threw him out. After that, he's like, you know, continuing on his way. So um, after that, in between that though, and that's where I kind of paused real quick because I forgot like the whole episode really, it those are parts of Darius, but the whole episode really wasn't about Darius because this was a part that where, you know, after it left off from that part with Darius, it kind of flipped over to this part where, at the beginning of the episode, remember Ern and Alfred Paperboy was gonna go meet Vanessa at a restaurant for lunch, and Darius said after his session, he's gonna meet up with them at the restaurant and they'll all have lunch, so it kind of flips to the restaurant, you know to them having lunch, right, and then you know you you feel so I don't want to mess it up for you guys, but watch it. Pay close attention as they're walking up to the restaurant, right? And look at all of the stereotypical tropes that you see walking up to the restaurant. Like, for example, I live in Florida, right? And um, But I've seen these type of shopping centers in everywhere. I mean, in New York, in Georgia, you know, parts of Virginia where you just know you're in the black neighborhood based on how the way the hair salon looks, how the way the, um, advertisement looks on the front of the store. Like you just know you're in a certain area. Right. So, um, he, they're walking up to the restaurant, and they're like, yeah, Vanessa's friend invested in this restaurant, so we're going to go show our support, so it'll be really a good look if Paperboy comes to eat at the restaurant because that's going to like you know help boost the sales for them, so let's let's do it and show support. As they're walking to the restaurant, Paperboy's like, man, are you kidding me? Popeyes is right there smelling so good that he says a very stereotypical remark. He was like, you smell that chicken? You know the manager's mean. And it's like, that's a whole stereotype that, you know, you have to know how to fight to work at Popeye's and all this stuff. Right. So, um, Vanessa, you know, Vanessa's inside the restaurant because that's her friend's restaurant, but, um, they're there and they're like, um, you know, nah, we're not going to eat Popeye's. We got to eat, you know, we promised Vanessa we're going to do this. So come on. So Ern is like, kind of like, come on, man, we got to do this. Come on. Don't be like that. Right. So then, um, they go into the restaurant which is weirdly weird to me because I don't even honestly remember Vanessa even eating stuff like Popeye's. She was more of like high end type of girl. And if I'm not mistaken, like she's also mixed, like her mother is German and her father's black or something to that effect. So she was a mixed girl. So I don't think Popeye's was ranking higher on her list in previous episodes. But, um, I thought that was weird. And that was probably to me like the, okay, here's the trippy part was when she was like, I want Popeye's too. We're going to, I promise right after this, we'll get Popeye's. And Ern looked at her like, what? You said you wanted to come here. She's like, yeah, I know, but the Popeye's is smelling good. I can't stop thinking about it. And so Ern was just like kind of looking at her weird, like, "The hell is wrong with you? Like you would, you tell us to come support your friend and then you want to go to Popeye's. And she's like, it smells good. So anyway, it kind of um goes back and forth of them like, Nitpicking, and then there's certain. I because to me, with this show, it's not really everything, and that's what this show has taught me. Everything is not said in life, you know. Sometimes you'll like, especially when I was younger, I used to always like try to convince people with my words, you know, like, I trust me, I did did it, and then you know, they say, action speaks louder than words, you know, and um, just. Overall, just learn. Like, if there's any young people out here listening to me or any old people that missed that lesson, grow it up. Trust me when I tell you, everything is not said. So, watching the episode, you know, they didn't say, oh, this is a ghetto black restaurant. Why are we supporting this black restaurant in the blackest of hoods, right? Just like how I didn't say that earlier. But it's certain things, like, if you just watch, and that's why you pay attention around. It, it's funny, but it's not funny, right? But you watch, they like, wow, they did a really good job of capturing this vision. So then when you go inside the restaurant, right, and if you've been to, you know, a high-end restaurant or in particular high-end Japanese restaurant, sushi restaurant, you know, um, any type of Asian cuisine on a high end, you'll get like those steamed rolled um, white napkins. Like they're like rolled up. It was almost like they steamed them. In, in a rice cooker or something, I don't know, but um, the warm heated towel, right? And it's nice, it's like perfectly rolled. Sometimes it, they'll come out on a platter, like in a triangle or different shapes or whatever. And it's like they just take and they hand them to you one by one so you can wipe off your hand, and you know what I'm saying? And then they sometimes will have like a little thing for you to throw them into. It just depends, right? So, but it's tradition because key. And the reason why I'm saying it on purpose, like, you kind of would experience that, like, at high-end restaurants, right? So, they did something to that effect at this restaurant, right? Giving you the same feel of, like, hey, wash your hands from a steamed rag, everything. But the rags weren't in unison. Like, one got, like, a nice white towel. Another one got, like, a Harley Davidson rag or whatever and another one got like a a, a small beach towel you know like a little bit bigger than a hand towel a little bit smaller than a body towel type of thing right and um different prints different colors nothing matching right and so I thought that was funny because I just you know from experience like okay I know where they were going with that right, but then you see how, like, Paperboy got annoyed by it, like, see, man, if I want, t- if I want low-tier shit, I just need to go over there to Popeye's, like, why y'all got me over here, so not even trying to, like, give the place a chance is automatically, like, look where it's located, you know, look where we at, and y'all trying to, you know, trying to be high-end, and then look at the the cloths, like, and they used it. They wiped their hands with it. They didn't even acknowledge it like directly, but indirectly after he got the clubs and they wiped their hands, he said, man, if I want to low tier shit, I could have went over there to Popeye's. Like, why am I here? Right. And, um, I was like, "Damn, that's funny because you know, the, the, um, towels, the mismatched towels add to that low tier ambiance. So I crack, I cackled a little bit, laughed or whatever. But I'm like, you know, sometimes, uh, and this is about me, because, like, if you know about Clean Eat Wings, then you know. I will try food, like, from, you know, I'm picky because certain things I just don't eat, you know. Like, I don't eat pork, so I'm not going to try something that I know has pork in it. Like, for example, I went to Jollibee's, you know, and that's on my Instagram, and I was disappointed. Like, for example, Jollibee's is a Filipino restaurant that's recently come over to the states and it has been all the rave about the fried chicken and the gravy you dip it in the gravy and they have the spaghetti and the spaghetti is good and you know so the concept was like okay that sounds pretty cool where I'm from spaghetti's ground beef you know uh, I know some people put like a you know Italian sausage pork sausage in it sometimes whatever but for the most part ground beef right and um Fried chicken and gravy, right? So I thought that was an interesting combination, but I'm like, it sounds like almost kind of like some hood shit that you would have done at one point in time, you know, college, early post college years. Like, yeah, I mean, get me. I've done it. I've eaten fried chicken and spaghetti before. So that wasn't nothing new to me. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Let me try it out. Tried it out. And lo and behold, it was pork in the spaghetti and like some pork hot dogs or whatever in the spaghetti. So we didn't even get to eat the spaghetti. We ended up giving that to the dog. I don't really like giving him pork, but in situations like that, I don't like wasting food, so we gave the hot dog stuff mixture to the dog. Not the spaghetti, because he can't eat the red sauce, but you know what I mean. We worked it out that way. The chicken was good. The gravy was good. They had a couple of other things on the menu that was pretty good. They had these yum-yum burgers. They were good, but um, just to tell you like that, like, so... I'm willing to try things within my diet, right? So as long as, you know, if even if it has pork in it, I might say, okay, I won't eat that, but I'll try some of that without the pork in it. So I'm not that type of person. So I get it, right? So, um, and, and all that to say, because I'm rambling a little bit, is, you know, some of the restaurants that had some of the best food did not have the most, you know, appealing outdoor or wasn't like parked in the most appealing neighborhood or um maybe they didn't have even ambiance maybe it was just like a walk-up spot where you walk up to the window get your food and go you know what i'm saying like trick daddy trick daddy in miami he has a restaurant his and i want to go to it. i haven't been to it but they say basically for the most part it's the same thing it's probably like one or two t- you know chairs or a table in there but it's not a place for you to sit down and enjoy and eat it's hey order your food thank you for your money thank you for your service you know spread the word we got good food and you go about your business. So it was like more like a to-go spot. But I hear their food is busting. You know what I'm saying? So it was like you can't really say, oh, because, you know, it's not set up with a five-star dining. It doesn't have this. It doesn't have that. I'm going to tell you like this. Shout out to my homeboy out here, Orlando, out here in you United. I don't really think that's his real name. But he when I used to work in um new the New Tampa area, on my way home, there was this gas station that, you know, based on where I live, and bushery, and based on where my job is at, if I need gas, the best spot would be to stop at this gas station, and get whatever I need, before I head, you know, the rest of the way home, because it's bushery from there, type of stuff, right, so I would stop at this gas station, right, lo and behold, this gas station used to always be packed, but it was like a Dunkin Donuts next door, and um a pizza place you know like on the other side of it so it was like okay it's active gas station it's active you know not all inside the gas station this is all connected to it so you know a lot of traffic a lot of stuff going on but when you go inside the gas station that was some of the best Jamaican food I got in Tampa period inside that gas station and I feel like it's like a shell gas station or something like that but inside that gas station yo one time i went in there right and so i'm like smelling the food right and then all of the people that i'm like if you know i don't want you know try you know in the world we live in today everybody's so politically correct but you know like indians like india or middle eastern you know from india look like you know, sometimes Trinidadians and Jamaicans, you know, they have the same features, my grandmother included, my great grandmother included, have some of those features, so when I heard the reggae music playing, and then I seen like the coolie looking Indian guy at the, at the um, cash register and he looked cool as hell right and he dancing and jamming to the reggae music i just instantly started talking to him i said which where you come from Yeah, where you come from you jamaican and he was like no i come from india i said you come from india where i you know about the music Where you know? why you smell and i was like oh well, you're cooking curry like that here we go here i go racist he said no man it's all and then he said it he kind of started started caribbean himself he said no man orlando in the back and I go in the back and it's a uh, Jamaican dude with the best oxtail and best escovitch fish on curry chicken that you can't get in the back of dude's gas station. And he was like, Yeah, mommy, just rent out the spot. And I was like me because real spill, like, even if I um order food if i have the ability to check out where my food is coming from i'm gonna take that advantage of it and check it out so a lot of places a lot of small mom and pops places and that's what i like about them because i always show love and will give reviews but i also would like to see what y'all working with like because the big people too like you know what i'm saying i want to see what y'all working with and when you go to mcdonald's or you go to burger king whatever in a weird way even though some you know some stuff we probably don't see you can kind of look straight to the back and see what they're doing right so, um, Orlando, he was like all right there, his kitchen and everything. So I was like, yo, can I see the kitchen? He's like, yo, man, come. He didn't even think twice. He let me tour his kitchen. Everything clean, spotless, spotless. And if you know, like a, a true Jamaican chef, which tends to be a man, like an older man, you know, you know, they're going to be they serious about cleaning and cooking and keeping that stuff right. So. All I to say is, right, I've been to some of the weirdest places and had some of the best food experiences. So I'm not that type of person to be, like, based on how it looks around me to be turned off by it, you know? It can't be dirty. Like, I can't be seeing no roaches running up on The place I'm smelling some weird shit coming out of, you know, other parts of the restaurant and then think I'm going to eat here. No. But, you know, within help – codes and within reasons etc i'm willing to try it right so i would have probably tried the japanese restaurant just off of the strength that it was a black guy that opened up a japanese restaurant after he you know learned the traditional japanese cuisine in japan so that's the whole premise of this restaurant where they're eating at but it just so happens to be in the hood so after you know they got the towels. First of all, before they even got in there, and he saw the Popeyes, Alfred, aka Paperboy, was ready to go. But after um, sitting in there and having a couple of appetizers, he further was convinced he was ready to go. They complained about everything, like the the sushi was warm. This was, the, I don't that I don't think the corn should have been in the rice. Like what were they doing with this? Boom, boom, boom with that, right? And he was like, man. The the, um, guy was like I wish I had my uh, Popeyes Versus this salad Like all this stuff So he just They're in the guy's restaurant Yearning for Popeyes It's just like You can look out the window And see the Popeyes Right across the street So He Basically got enough Because I don't want to give you all of it But he basically You know Alfred A.K.A. Paperboy Got at his wit's end With his experience at this restaurant And was like Man forget this I'm going to Popeyes Right now Fuck this I'm hungry So he gets up to leave So the owner of the restaurant comes out and he kind of looks very militant, give you very Malcolm X, Malcolm X ish vibes, very Islamic vibes, like Muslim vibes. So he comes out and he's like, oh, you're going over to Popeye's, aren't you? And he was like, no, man, hey, you know, so he didn't really want to be disrespectful, like your food suck, your place suck, so he was like, no, no, it's not like that, we got things to do, I got music, I'm a rapper, I got rap things to do, we double book, boom, 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 and he was like, no, 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 since you sat down, you spent this whole time looking over there at the Popeyes, and he went into whole thing about, you know, the culinary, and he went into, like, techniques, and, you know, like, you're complaining because a black man is making sushi with no gloves, but the traditional way of making sushi is with no gloves if you go to any restaurant, but beyond the restaurants, if you go to Japan and, you know, he went through all this other stuff and went through, you know, just like the technique to let you know that he knows what he's talking about when it comes to this culinary or this cuisine and he knows how to prepare it correctly. Then he goes on to say, um, the biggest restaurant in Japan that you can't even it's not even really open to the public because it's so critically acclaimed that you know it's just booked out at all times he was like the public cannot get in there you know you you could barely make reservations and he said do you want to know where that restaurant is located and they're like man look we don't care man we're just trying to get some Popeyes and get up out of here so he was like the restaurant is located on like the Z line in somewhere in Japan. So just the way he described it kind of made me feel like it was in the worst area possible, you know, in the subway station on top of that. So they was making sushi inside of the subway in the worst area of whatever part of Japan this is. And it's critically acclaimed to the point that you cannot just make reservations because it's always booked all the time. Right. So he was saying that his master, his teacher, who, you know, the master chef who taught him how to make sushi and everything at those times. And and the reason why I know this, because that was my my master's or my teacher's restaurant. That's what he said. And he said his teacher told him you can make good sushi anywhere. It doesn't matter what you have, you know, what you you know, how how grand or how flashy or not, as long as the food is good, you know, as long as the sushi is good it'll work. It'll work anywhere. And then he went into, you know, well, well, I, he so pro- let me go back a little bit. So he went, so the guy who's telling this to Paperboy, which is the owner of the restaurant, DeMarcus. So he said, yeah, but I guess my teacher didn't realize that that happens, that applies to anyone but a black man you know and he was like hey man and he was like yeah because right you don't trust niggas he was like you can't trust a nigga from chicago You can't trust a nigga from new orleans and he's like just running through all the little stereotypes about reasons why not to trust black people and basically saying how black people don't trust black people so and then he circled back around and said, ironically, I have better quality sushi at my restaurant versus places where you go to and they're giving you like stale soy sauce and they're handing up your food in an improper manner. And in some cases, even giving you mishandled meats, but you praise their food because it's them and you'll down me because I'm a black man. And then he went even into a whole deep thing, which I said, I need to look into that. So let me pause real quick right now. And I'm gonna look into this real quick, you know, and that's another reason I told you I had to pause and come back. And I surely did. That is another reason why I like Atlanta, because it will make you research and make you look, even though it's an Afro surrealist, surrealistic world, meaning that, you know what surrealism is just add some Afro surrealism to it. Okay. So it's basically surrealism for black people Then you could be like, okay he's given some truth mixed in with some weird artistic stuff so i can see where this is going but um it was correct in the show which we already knew that the lady that was in the popeyes commercial was not the lady who made the recipe just like we knew the colonel in the colonel sanders commercials is not the person who made the kfc recipe we already know that but um on the flip side, it was some black people's recipe from the Kentucky Fried Chicken recipe that basically got taken away from them. On the flip side, yeah, I don't really know who Popeye's was, but it was New Orleans, you know, interesting enough. But um, it was a franchise and franchise type of thing. So a guy named Al Copeland, white guy. Own the recipe for Popeye's chicken still to this day, and Popeye's basically had to pay him a royalty check for using the recipe. And then when they said it was time to pay him the royalty check, they paid him like forty three million for the actual recipe. But guess what? His company still supplies the secret herbs and blends and seasonings for the chicken, so you know he's still making his money. So yeah, they <laughs> shout out to Atlanta, yo. So in the scene, and that's what the, let me pause it. Because I don't want to just go off of the show, I want to see if this is fact. Because it came through too realistically, and it is a fact. So in there, he said, "Look out there." He was like, "Um, and oh, maybe that's what he's referring to because it doesn't really say who actually created the recipe. Maybe it was black people too. Pretty sure it was. And they said they had to, you know, they they lost their recipe to Copeland, and then Copeland." went to churches and all this other stuff. So churches sound like some black people chicken too. But anyway, just like I found out earlier today, that Hidden Valley Ranch is a black cowboy's recipe. His ranch was called Hidden Valley. And he made this, you know, this condiment, this white sauce dip that he would dip his chicken in, dip his carrots and his vegetables that he grew on his ranch, and everybody loved it. So he called it Ranch Dressing because it was made on his ranch and he called the company Hidden Valley and he ended up selling it to Clorox. Makes you not want to buy Hidden Valley no more, right? Makes you want to figure out how to make your own ranch dressing, right? But anyway, just like Amos Cookies, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to go on and on. We're going to keep it to the Popeyes real quick. So in the episode, he said, look at that they took our future and salted and battered it and selling it right back to us you know so to me I felt like that might have been a shot at who the original person was that created the recipe they had to buy it back from you know the actual owner of the recipe who is not the creator so all I had to say is that he was like and then they put a um you know Excuse my language. I'm just paraphrasing from the show. This is not my wording. But he said, uh, Aunt Jemima, to sell it to you and lie to you constantly about this being her recipe and, and how basically you're helping her become rich. And she is just an actress, a paid actress. But the music, the New Orleans, the black lady make you feel like you're eating some good old southern fried chicken from a black lady. When in reality, it's not. You know, and he said, but this right here is really a black restaurant that's really giving you authentic sushi, really giving you, you know, precision, sliced blowfish and all this other stuff. But you refuse to eat it because I'm black. You know, you think my hands are dirty because I roll up my sushi with my hands versus using gloves, you know, all this other stuff. And I was like, wow. So it, it was a part, though that I had to talk real, I have to say real quick that I had me bust out laugh. I had to rewind it and I still laughed several times again over was when the sun excuse me, not the son, when they're all inside of the sushi restaurant and the owner, DeMarcus, said, look outside, look at your future, salted and battered, right? So when you look, you see three young boys, like maybe teenagers or whatever, young or early teenagers coming out of Popeye's after school, clearly, they got their backpacks on and they got their chicken sandwiches in hand. And one of the little boys takes off his backpack and throw it on the floor and start humping like he's Jodeci, like he's in a whole full hump-on section. I'm um, session, eating the chicken sandwich while he's humping on the backpack. His, his two homies is eating their chicken sandwiches, laughing. Of course, that lends to the whole chicken sandwich pan, pandemonium that happened right before the pandemic. And I was like, I, whatever the fuck is in that chicken sandwich, I don't want to try it because that's crazy the way they're acting. And... One time I had that chicken sandwich, and I got aggressive afterwards. And I was like, I don't like this chicken sandwich. So that's my experience with that. But anyway, um, I thought that was funny. The little boy was eating the chicken sandwich. So it was a double entendre. Because he said, look at your future out there. And it was three little boys coming out of Popeye's, eating a chicken sandwich, acting real ignorant. So it was a lot to take in, a lot to take into that moment right there. But the biggest part that I took from that, because there's multiple layers to it, Right. The one part could be, oh, once we become big and we become rich and become successful, we become removed from society and not realize that like, hey, there's other people that have dreams, too, that I'm not saying I got to fund your dream, but you could support. You know what I'm saying? You could try the restaurant out. You don't have to, you know, be so hard on it because it's a black restaurant. You know what I'm saying? You could support them the way they supported your music or the way, you know, other people supported you. So I got that lesson from that. The biggest one, though, overall was, you know, that black people don't trust other black people because that's what he kind of kept on reiterating. Demarcus, the um Japanese restaurant owner, kept on reiterating, like, if this was anyone else's restaurant, you would have accepted it. And if you get technical, because I'm going to go back to Jollibee's for a little bit, okay? Jollibee's is owned by a white man out here, where we're at anyway, you know? Yeah, they have, like, just like, say, for example, when I go over to Popeye's, it's all black people working the staff at Popeye's, you know, and I'm not going to say, yeah, for the most part, all black people's working at Popeye's at Jolly P Jolly Bees. It's I'm not going to say if they're all Filipino, but they're all Filipino looking, you know, that work at Jolly Bees. But I've seen the owner. I've seen the whole big, you know, release and the whole um grand opening and everything. He's a white guy, white guy. So we'll go to a Jollibee's or under the pretense of, oh, my God, it's Filipino food, where I spoken to several 100 percent authentic Filipinos. and was like, Colleen, why did you go there? You could have just came to my house for some authentic Filipino food like you've done in the past. What was that? I said, you know me, I'm a foodie. I want to try out, the you know, just try it out and see, you know, what the hype is about type of thing. But all I have to say it's it's a franchise bought by a white man that, you know, everyone is excited about it because it's Filipino food, exactly. So the same thing with the Popeyes, you know, and any other thing is franchise to a specific culture. So there you go. But when you do have the culture, like say it's an authentic, you know, um, Peruvian restaurant, which I have a few that I love, you know, you'll see the family there. Nine, of 10, it might be a mom and pop, you know, restaurant, nine out of 10, it might not be in the most high end of neighborhoods, but the food will be authentic and it will be good. You know, I've been to several places like that. I've been to restaurants, you know, black owned restaurants. And, um, on the flip side, I've been to some black owned restaurants where they're like really high end and nice. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is, I'm so, you know, so, you know, delighted to be here. And then some restaurants you're like, okay, this is the hood, but this food is slamming. You know what I'm saying? So I don't really judge you can't judge a book by its cover. And I got that. I quickly picked up what Atlanta was dropping down with that scene with the restaurant. You know, it's like we're hard on other on ourselves. But he's like, But you'll go and enjoy the stale soy sauce that they'll serving over there with no problem, without question. And you won't even realize that their sushi's room temperature over there or maybe longer without question because of who's serving it to you and i think that's just all a part of aesthetics and a lot of people understand that that's why you know jolly has those type of staff and popeyes has their staff i mean it, it makes sense but um and i mean i you know jamaican people do everything because caribbean food is everyone from afro you know latina jamaican um trinidadian Guyanese, Haitian, African. There's so many different cuisine. You can't just say black people food. You know what I'm saying? Because there is no black people if you get technical. Now, southern food is, you know, we don't know fried chicken, collard greens, cabbage. You know, it's so many different things. But you know what I learned? Something that was, I thought was, you know, just exclusive to us. Something like oxtails. I just thought and believed in my all of life that oxtails was just a Jamaican thing. I didn't think anyone else in the world knew what oxtails was when I was a little kid because it was just, I don't know, we just love oxtail, you know what I'm saying? So you couldn't tell me that this wasn't just a Jamaican food until I got to the South. When I came to the South, I see you know, a lot of soul food restaurants serving oxtail. And I'm like, what y'all know about oxtail? And he's like, oh no, baby, this is Southern oxtail. And I'm like, shit tastes like oxtail to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But as I started to, um, you know, develop my palate and also cook, I know the difference between, you know, the Southern oxtails versus Caribbean oxtails and, you know, Southern, you know, chicken and gravy versus stew chicken, you know? So you can't just put, you know, black people's cuisine in one bucket because we're so diverse right just like you can't put white people's food or european food in one bucket because that too is also diverse by culture and and countries etc right so um but i just think that we tend to be harder on ourselves in the black community, when it comes to that, and I think Donald Glover, Childish Gambino, and Atlanta did a great job in touching on that on this last episode. And to me, I feel like it was so eye opening to be like, "Wow, am I? I hope I'm not that person." You know what I'm saying? Like, not to judge anyone else, judging myself. Like, I hope I'm not that person because I know I try. You know, to be nice and friendly and treat everyone as they are, as they come. Like, don't oh, you wear this, I'm wearing that, I'm better than you. If you spend your time looking at people and what they got, you'll forever be miserable because you're going to always find something that you don't have that you want. You know what I'm saying? That they have that you want. So you got to enjoy yourself. So that's something that I appreciate about me these days. But um, yeah, so just to round it up, he came and rescued them from a very intense situation, Darius. So I know you thought I was done with the story with that whole situation, but it kind of flipped to the restaurant. And then remember, Darius is supposed to meet them at the restaurant for lunch. He finally arrives right at the moment where something weird seemed like it's about to happen to them, you know, because the owner speaking to them about, you know, his, um his take on black people versus, you know, any other culture doing something like starting a business and et cetera. So then, um, he rescues them. He gets them out of there. He pulls off in a pink Maserati, which I'm like, okay, this makes me feel like this is, he's still in this damn tank because where did he get this Maserati from? So as he's driving with the, you know, with his friends, he tells them like, Oh, look underneath your seat. And everybody looks underneath their seat and they pull out Popeye's. You know, so they were in the restaurant the whole time feeding for Popeye's and they were getting basically five-star treatment at, on a budget because the man was, you know, centrally located and he's up and coming and he's just trying to bring good quality, you know, Japanese cuisine to the hood, right? And they was out of there. They wasn't trying to hear that. And um, they got their Popeye's as they were so longing for in the end. The crazy thing to me about that is, how did Darius know that they wanted Popeyes, right? Did he pull up in the parking lot? saw the Popeyes were like, oh yeah, I know they're going to want some of that. And he rescued everybody whatever. So that part made me feel like, okay, he's still in the tank. But it also made me look at it now. If Darius is still in the tank, I have to um, evaluate that scene from a different perspective. Because um, he loves anime. He loves Japanese cuisine. He loves all things non-black Darius right so um he's not one to that's afraid to explore try different cultures different foods and different drugs we all know this so was that his thoughts and is that how he feels about his friends all you guys want is Popeyes and I'm trying to expand your palate. Cause he's always trying to take him someplace to try something different. And they're like, um, no, Darius. Sometimes they'll indulge him and go, but for the most part, it's like, okay, no, you're always doing some weird shit. I got something to do. Blah, blah, blah. Right? So maybe that was his point like that, that was his perception of them, of his friends. Like all of you, all you want is Popeyes, and you don't want to expand your mind. And that's why our future is in turmoil look at our future with the children etc etc so knowing Darius and watch you know just watch him over all four seasons and then listening to the dialogue from the owner of the Japanese restaurant it made me feel like these are Darius's thoughts um directly and indirectly about his friends and just the black community right and um yeah like that's his take on it. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? These are my thoughts. This is how I feel, but I love you for who you are. So he rescued them from his thoughts and gave them Popeye's. Right. So that's how I feel about it. I feel like those was Darius's deep, you know, thoughts about his friends, his perception of them. Like basically y'all just get on like Popeye's, but at the same time, I love you for it. You know, because not every day you want to have sushi in, in high-end cuisine or whatever. So instead, you can settle for some Popeyes, I guess. I don't know. But um, that's what I got from it. Like, you know, we dig we a little differently, but I love you for who you are. So I'm going to make sure you have Popeyes. So they get back to the house now, and they're, like, saying it's the best Popeyes they ever had. And it's so great. And, oh, my God. And then um, Darius, they asked Darius, like, wait a minute, where did you get that pink Maserati from? Like, where did you pull up with the Maserati and the Popeyes? Like, where did you get it from? He was like, oh, I stole it. And they were like, what? What are you talking about? So he basically proceeds to tell them like he feels like he's still in the tank. This is not real. So he's not worried about it. He's not worried about the repercussions of anything because it's not real. So they're like, uh, we're here, it's real. What are you talking about? And he's like, Nah, you'll see. And they're like, Whatever. So then, as you know, the dialogue continues, Paperboy says something that stood out to me too. So then, and I'm gonna wrap it up with all of this at the end, but um, Paperboy said, Hey, do you want to smoke some of my weed? He kind of emphasized that you want to smoke some of my weed, and, and they're like, Sure, let's go. And then, normally, the way he would do Darius, like, Hey, man, you roll up the blunt and kind of like flunky him around he did that to Vanessa to Ern's girlfriend and was like hey you roll up and he was like do she even know how to roll up was like yes you know how to roll up roll up and that's normally the type of demeanor and dialogue that he would have with Darius directly in those type of scenarios Darius in this case and he's like I said always quick to get high was not really ready to get high he was sitting on the sofa, and it was like, hey, man, are you are you coming out? He was like, I'll be out there. Just wait for me. I'll be out there. Then, Judge Judy comes on the TV. So we know, oh, this whole shit was a damn session in the tank, right? But we don't see at the end if it's thick Judge Judy or not. We just see the expression on his face like, huh. Now, some people could say his expression is like, I knew it. I knew I'm still in the dream. And I'm, you know, I'm, I got control over this. Or another thing could be like, huh, maybe I'm not in the dream. So it was like really left up to interpretation the way you, you know, how you perceive his last facial expression. And then, boom, that's the end of the damn show. So really good, really good, really good. So um, to me now, this is what I think. You know, the show is done. So this is all up to it's all up to perception. They say perception is reality or your, you know, your opinion. Right. Everyone has one. I like assholes, so. There you go. But I feel like this. I feel like um two things could have been. I definitely feel like he was in the tank 100%. You know what I'm saying? I think that from the beginning to end like it started with his friends and ended with his friends. Like in the, he was in the tank when he was hearing the music and he was seeing them, but he really wasn't talking to them. It was like maybe he was just going under into his, you know, into whatever layer of sensory he was in, but I felt like he just went into his hypnosis when we, when the scene opens up, he's watching judge Judy. He sees a Popeye's commercial. So all of this is like foreshadowing to the episode. And then you see, you know, he starts talking to, um, earn and Alfred about, you know, going to the sushi restaurant. And you know, then he basically says he has errands to run. So, he goes from that to his mom, a nurturing type of being. So, he misses his mother. He goes from that to the first love of his life, which is the girl that they basically had a toxic, weird ass relationship, giving me Krishan and Blueface vibes type of relationship, toxic. So, that he goes from that to his brother who's dying, who kind of gives you the vibe that he's already dead. Right. And in that same scene, he says, How's mom? How's dad? So it makes you feel like they're all dead and he's by himself. Then it goes from that to him, you know, having the weird situation with the, you know, weird white ladies in the medical area. I feel like that's him confronting the medical malpractice that happened to him as a child that caused him to be sterile that he goes from that to rescuing his friends. I feel like he's never really viewed as the hero to his friends. He's never really viewed as the one that can provide for his friends, right? So, um, and I feel like kind of like that for his brother as well. So, because he brought his brother his prescription, and the brother was like, you know they delivered this. Like, you didn't have to bring this. And his brother said something key, like, "Um, I don't want you staying in here with me. I want you to go outside and live. So that makes me feel like the brother is dead and, like, stop you know, mourning or feeling like guilty about that, you know, go live your life. So then, um, to his friends now, I feel like he's never been the hero. It's always Paperboy buying something for him. It's always, you know, you know, like he, he has money. Like, I'm not gonna say he never had money. He was hundred percent a bum. He had money, always has money or whatever, and to do what he wants to do. But he's never really like, you know, there for his friends, you know what I'm saying? Like he's there for them, but if you know what I'm saying, like it's always them providing something for him. Like they provided for him to go to Europe. You know, he went to Europe because of paperboy. He's, you know, traveling around. He gets a driver because of Earn. like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, everything's kind of always kind of given to him. So he's never been able to reciprocate that for his friends. So I feel like that's a big, you know, a guilt thing on him, or maybe subconsciously, that's how he felt, so that was his way of saying, hey, I saved the day, I saved you from the sushi, res- the sushi restaurant, I knew you guys wouldn't like, because that's not your forte, that's mine, and then not only did I save you guys from a dangerous situation, I also got you Popeyes that you wanted, all of you wanted Popeyes, and I provided Popeyes, where it's normally in reverse, everyone's feeding him, or everyone's taking care of him. So I feel like that was his ability to be the hero. Then they kind of praised him. It was like, this is the best food. And then Ern said something. He said, food tastes the best when you f- feel like you're about to die. And then, you know, they all go to smoke the weed. And he doesn't go with them. Like, why didn't he go with them? And then it's like he just kind of had like a really common moment, right? two things I feel like I feel like maybe well the first one is I feel like he was in the tank 100% of this whole episode he was in this water tank the whole episode another parts of me feel like did he die in the water tank ah so yeah because that's another thing especially the way it ended it made me feel like it, you know, it was definitely a ending because the whole show was ended. Now, the series finale's ended. But it made me feel like it ended for da- for Darius in that moment where he was able to be with his friends one more time and not only be with his friends one more time, but be the hero for them, rescue them, give them the food that they wanted, and whatever they needed, he was able to provide it for them, Right. And then when um, Paperboy said, you want to smoke my weed, you know, like emphasize on that is because he was like, no, I'm kind of good because he knows he's always been a burden to Paperboy and always been like, you know, I'm smoking your weed, I'm eating your food, I'm laying in your bed, I'm hanging out at your house, you know, that was always Darius's MO with Paperboy but this episode right at the end he's like no nah, I'm going to wait and he was like you going to come out there he's like you just wait for me I'm going to come out there in any one minute you just wait for me as if like I'm not coming out there like you're never going to see me again and then when he looks back at them and he turns back and he sees Judge Judy on the TV it makes me feel like he was he realized he was dead at that moment so I know it's a far reach You know, it's all, you know, all these shows, especially Atlanta is left up to interpretation. You know, definitely a lot of episodes from this show, a lot of talking, you know, talking points from the series. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to watch it again because I just really wanted to share that with you. And right now I'm going to pause it and hunt for that song that played at the beginning of this episode, because I want to come back and tell you about that. All righty you already know, I paused and and came back, <laughs> but I found the song for y'all, the song is called Amnesty by Liberty, I knew it was an old group, but you can't never get, you can't never trust it nowadays, because I've heard some really young, really new artists do some really soulful stuff, um, Silk Sonic, for example, they sound like they were from back in the days, and it's so soulful, but it's new music, so I just wanted to make sure, but, um, it looks like it's an old group but old group called liberty and the song is called amnesty and what stuck out to me about this song was the message was the message for us or was it for darius get that ah is darius us oh my god i'm not high guys i promise you but anyway um yeah i feel like maybe darius is us in a way but anyway as he was sitting there vibing, he had the headphones on and you hear the message in that song. He's like, lift up, you know, unity. You got to hear it. I'm going to play at the end of this um, episode here. And then you see he's interrupted by Earn. So it's almost like he has to take, you know, his life into his own hands and kind of figure out what he wants to do with himself at this point. Or if not, it's going to be you know, dealt with for him. And so it's kind of deep for him to go from that in the beginning of the episode, kind of lounging around like aimlessly. And he says, oh, I have a session I have to attend. And they're like, okay, whatever. To actually attending the session. And then at the end, what we perceive to be him after the session could possibly be him still in the session. So deep. But that's why I feel like maybe he died in it. You know, um, because he kind of like had got his own closure, maybe with like his mother, with his brother, with the first love or the girl that broke his heart because she seemed like she broke his heart. Um, his friends, you know, accepting the differences between him and his friends, but still loving them for who they are. You know, so it was a lot that I picked up and maybe it could just be, you know, everyone's perception is different based on the individual's experience. Right. In life. So maybe that's what I was able to pick up on because of my experiences, you know, and then just like knowing the characters, certain things I started looking for, like the tea room. They said tea too many times that I said, when they go into that tea room, I'm looking around because there's some tea in there. And literally they sat him in front of a book in front of a wall of books. Right. And if you just start reading the books on the wall, I feel like they were all like descriptions for the type of person Darius is. So, you know, you could watch it and tell me what you think. But I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good. And I'm going to leave you guys with this episode. I mean, leave you leave this episode with that song from the series finale of Atlanta opening side opening scene (laughs) I can't talk today, what the hell, opening scene of the show, series finale, it was Liberty Amnesty, so I'm gonna play that for y'all, but before I play that for y'all, I want to say, you know, got some big things coming up, I know I say that all the time, and I don't show up, but, um, remember a couple of months ago, I said I've been working a lot of things, and I've, um, been working on a lot of things. So now I am so excited to be sharing some of that stuff with you coming up really, really soon. So be on the lookout for that. If you do not follow me on Instagram, GonglyMC, what what are you waiting for? If you do not follow me on Clean Eat Wings, you're missing out because I'm cooking some stuff. Thanksgiving is coming up and you know how I do. Um, I already like told Colossal my menu. He's in denial. He was like, "That doesn't sound like any food." But he 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 knows how I do. He trusts my um cooking. So we haven't deconstructed turkey this year, and I haven't decided if I'm gonna do something like traditional with it or if I'm going to jerk it. And when I say deconstructed turkey, I'm not doing a whole turkey bird, you know. So I'm doing parts of the turkey that we like (laughs) so we're having a themed turkey it's not a big thing maybe a few family members might come over so it'll be enough but um we're going to have fun with it. We're going to have fun. Plus, you know, we're trying to eat healthier, lighter. We're not trying to do a whole bunch of, um, as uh, they say, low vibrational plates. Lies. I love low vibrational plates. So uh, we're going to have a couple of those, pop it off too. But we're going to have fun. So stick around. Stay tuned for what we got going on. I did drop a song, Man Can't Curse, streaming on all digital platforms. We dropped that last month, October 7th, produced by Fleo out of paris france shout out to elite records for the co-production shout out to doe records shout out to marty blunt masterings up in virginia hey shout out to my whole team that's my team right there i love you guys i appreciate it we got a lot of stuff coming so stay tuned y'all i'm not playing around with y'all i'm not playing around so um tell me what you think check out atlanta Tell me if you um, agree with my perception of the, of the series finale or if you have another perception, feel free to share with me. You know I'm all for it. And I love it when you guys interact with me. So, you know, let's do that. I've been loving YouTube live. I'm trying to figure out how to get me YouTube live so I can be talking with you guys live, my damn self. But until then, much love. Stay safe out there. From my mouth to your ears, I love you. But you know what? You got to love you first because you can't love me if you don't love you. All right? So until next time, y'all, stay safe. One love, much blessings. And um, hear the message in this song right here because even though it's a classic song, it's still relevant today. All right, y'all, much love. Peace. <music>